What's up, punks? Welcome back to the Poker Punks podcast. This is episode four, titled Go for Value. In the hands I'm going to go over this week, the villain or myself was going for max value, and we'll go into the thinking behind it, and we will see how those hands ended up. But without further ado, let's get to some hands. For this first hand, we are playing 1-3 No Limit. The villain is the effective stack size at about $550. We're pretty new to the table. Uh, we haven't been there very long, but the villain is someone that was watching a vlog on his phone. We started talking about vlogs a little bit. I told him about how I had started a vlog, then couldn't film anymore. I was switching over to this podcast. So I didn't put him as a total noob or a complete rec player, but that didn't mean that I definitely thought he was a good thinking player. We are on the button and we look down at King of Hearts, 10 of Diamonds, and when it folds to us, we are going to open this every single time. So we raised to $15, pretty much expecting the small blind and big blind to both fold out. The small blind folds, but then the big blind, who is the villain in this hand, raises to $55. I decide to call here, even though it's a bit of a wide call, I figure there's a lot of hands he could be squeezing with, and if he is someone who is a vlog watcher, he would know that squeezing here is a good play because I could be pretty wide opening the button. So we go to a flop with $111 in the pot, and that flop is King of Diamonds, Nine of Clubs, Seven of Hearts. The villain does not hesitate and leads out immediately for $75, about two-thirds pot. I think about what hands he could be doing this with, but ultimately with top pair and a somewhat decent kicker, I decide that this is too strong of a hand to fold at this point, and I make the call. We have $261 in the pot going to a turn, which is the King of Clubs. So now the board is King of Diamonds, Nine of Clubs, Seven of Hearts, King of Clubs. It does bring in the backdoor club draw, and the villain now checks. I check back here because I am not sure if this could be a trap where the villain maybe has a hand like Ace-King, Pocket Nines, Pocket Sevens, or even King-Queen, King-Jack. They're all hands that I'm losing to at this point. So I don't want to get pushed off of my equity here. So I figure a check back is the appropriate play. The river card comes the four of hearts, leaving us with a final board of king of diamonds, nine of clubs, seven of hearts, king of clubs, four of hearts. The villain checks again. And in this spot, since I checked back the turn that paired the king on the board, I think that there is a very good chance that I can get some big value here from this opponent. I go into the tank for not too long, you know, 20 seconds or so, and decide on a sizing of $150. That's about 60% of the pot, and the villain instantly calls and turns over pocket aces, thinking that he's probably good here. I, unfortunately for him, turn over my king 10 for the turn trips and he just taps the table says good hand and mocks his aces i do like his three bet pre-flop he does have to protect here and he can make a good raise and get calls from a lot of weaker hands 
as he did from me. The only problem here is when he goes so big on the flop, if I don't hit top pair, then I really can't call here. The fact that I called a fairly substantial raise pre-flop does not necessarily mean that I'm going to have the biggest hand in the world here. By opening the button, I can open it wide. I can defend it pretty wide. His bet here is a little bit bigger than I think he really needed to do. By betting that big, he opens the door for my large river bet that he then ends up paying off. If he would have bet something more in the realm of $55 to $60 again, I might have actually been more afraid than I was by the $75 bet. And also his bet timing was a bit of a tell by betting out so quickly, he is either telling me that he has some sort of weak pair or he is very strong. In this case, he happened to be very strong with pocket aces, but he could have easily had something like queens, tens, jacks that I was ahead of. The two things that went against him here were his bet sizing and his bet timing. The check check on the turn is pretty standard because I do turn trips, but there are a lot of trips that I am still losing to. So hedging there gives me the chance to see what this villain is going to do on the river. And when he checks that river, I think that I can go for the jugular here and try and get max value, which I think I did. I don't know if he would have called much more than the 150, but we were happy to take this one down. <laughs> The next hand I'm going to go over here is played against a complete rec player. Very scared player, player that really was weak passive the whole time at the table. And this villain is the effective stack for $196. We are in the hijack and we look down at red pocket jacks. Under the gun limps, I raise to $20. I size up a bit for the one limper. The small blind calls, big blind folds, and under the gun calls. We go to a flop with $63 in the pot, and that flop is two of spades, four of clubs, five of spades. Small blind and under the gun both check to me, and I bet $45 here, which is about two-thirds of the pot. Small blind's thinking about it for a little bit and ends up folding, and then the under the gun player decides to go all in for $176 total. I stop and I think about this for a minute, and the only thing that I can put him on here that I am not really beating is ace-three and the sets. I know that sounds pretty obvious here, but thinking about this, I really discounted the sets. I really thought that this type of player would slow play a set, they would call, check again, and then maybe go for a check raise on the turn. That's a very rec player heavy type of line to take when they flop a set. The ace three was a possibility, but in the long run, I thought I'm unblocking the flush, I am an over pair. If they have a bigger pair than me, so be it. So I decided to make what is a pretty loose call to a check raise of 
3x pot almost. Immediately, the villain shows me the bad news, turns over the ace three of diamonds. The board runs out seven of diamonds, three of spades. So even if he had been on that flush draw that I thought maybe he had here, it would have gotten there anyway. Even any ace or six were beating me after the run out. I end up folding my hand without showing. And the moral of this story is when a passive rec player checks shoves into you, you really have to give them a lot more credit for having a hand and not discount the fact that they may only have one or two combos of shoving hands. The fact of the matter is a weak passive player is not going to take this line without a very strong made hand. Even if he would have had two pair here, I don't think he would have taken this line. The only hands that I think he could be taking this line with are ace three, six three, or maybe, just maybe if they're like a looser passive player, maybe ace x of spades. And all of those hands, jacks, especially red ones, are not really doing super well against. So I could have saved myself a $130 or so and kept that for a better spot, which is something that I really am working on in my game where I have to realize even though it's only $130, $120 more, the odds of me being ahead here are slim to none. By being able to get away from these hands, it's more about the money that you don't lose, that you still have in your stack, that you can punish them with later. So by being able to recognize these situations and these player types and be able to not exploit them, but exploit their eagerness and being able to lay down big hands that are not made hands will save you money in the long run and also get you paid off in the long run when you have a hand that you can value bet them to death and they're not willing to fold. This next hand is from the same session as the pocket jacks hand. It's maybe about 20 minutes later. At this point, we are at the effective stack at $425. We are in the small blind and we look down at the ace of diamonds, ace of spades. Under the gun raises to $15. This player is a hyper aggressive, what I would call an alpha male. You can check out pokerpunks.com for a little blog post I wrote about alpha males and how to play against them. In this situation, it folds around to me in the small blind and I three bet to $55. I am hoping to get stacks in with this gentleman because I know he is not afraid to get stacks in and he will do it light. He just calls and we go to a flop with $113 in the pot and that flop comes off ace of hearts, seven of diamonds, four of clubs. Perfect flop for us, flopping top set with no real draws on this board. But instead of checking here and playing it as a trap, like a lot of rec players would do, I decide to fast play my hand here and keep betting. And I bet out small here for $35. 
The reason I bet small is I have this board so locked up and by having three of the four aces in the deck, it's going to be very hard for this under the gun player to have an ace or a hand that is strong enough to call a bet with. So by betting on the smaller side, I am trying to signal just a touch of weakness and get calls from middling pocket pairs or even a couple Broadway cards that might have a backdoor flush draw to go along with them. The villain does make the call and we have a pot of $183 going to a turn, which is the six of spades. This does bring in the five, eight and five, three straights, but I really can't put an under the gun razor on either of those hands. And with his hyper aggressive style, my only move here is to check and try and induce a bet out of this villain. So we do just that. We check and the villain insta shoves for my remaining stack as he has me covered. I insta call, turn over the pocket aces. The seven of spades hits the river and the villain insta mucks and doubles us up in a very nice way. The whole attack line against this type of player is when you have very thick value to take a little bit and try to turn the tables on the way that a normal rec player would play. Most normal rec players, if they flop top set, especially against an aggressive player who opened under the gun, their instinct is going to be, let them bet, I'm going to raise, and then try and take a bigger pot that way. By leading out here, I am signaling to this villain, oh, maybe I don't really have an ace, and I am trying to protect against that ace that hit the flop. I might have a hand like pocket jacks, pocket tens, something in that line where he thinks he'll be able to bet me off of it on the turn no matter what. By checking the turn, it really just gives him the green light to think, this guy doesn't have an ace, I'm going to bet him off here. If I shove, he can't call because he doesn't have an ace. But in this situation, we were able to manipulate the situation to get this villain to do exactly what we wanted to do. He got his money in bad, probably drawing dead, and we were able to get a full double up from him and just have our plan work out exactly as we want. This last hand I'm going to go over with you, the villain in this situation is the effective stack at about $400. They are in middle position and they raise to $12 which is kind of the standard raise for a lot of the players that are rec players at 1-3, at least the ones that do raise. There's a vast majority of them that don't even raise with anything. The low jack ends up just flat calling, and we are in the high jack and look down at red kings. I 3-bet to $55 here, which is just under the normal 4x plus the limpers guideline. $55 for this game is on the bigger side, but I want to make sure to make either of these two players who want to see a flop pay for it. It folds around to the middle position player 
who thinks about it for 20 or 30 seconds and then decides to fold. And then the low jack quickly folds behind. This isn't a very interesting hand in sense of what happens in it, but it's a very basic strategy that you have to employ of putting the pressure on with all the rec players, even the ones that are capable of preflop raises, you need to punish their preflop raising range. And you don't always have to do it with a premium hand like pocket kings. If you're in position, you can do this with much weaker holdings, with king queen, king jack, king 10, those sort of hands, ace 10, ace jack, hands that you might not think of as a three bet candidate. When you are closer to the button, you can always take the line of raising these hands. If you get played back at, you can fold out your weaker ones and continue with your stronger ones. But in this situation, I was able to pick up $28 without even having to see a flop. And it was because I could see these are the type of players who the one's in open, he could have anything there. Then there's a flat caller in between. We don't want to let this flat caller see a flop for what they've already put in. We want to make sure that if they're going to see a flop, they're going to pay for it. And by driving them out of the hand, if the middle position player calls, we're heads up after we get the limper to fold, which is the ideal scenario for us because it's much easier to win a pot heads up than it is three ways or four ways. So always err on the side of aggression with position. When you're out of position, hands like your king tens, your king jacks, those tend to be a fold unless they're suited and even suited king 10. If you're under the gun, that's probably just a fold. Because a lot of times what's going to happen is you're going to hit your 10 and run into a hand like ace 10, pocket jacks, pocket queens, where you're beat or drawing very thin. So you want to make sure that you are trying to extract max value in position and hedge on the side of caution when you're out of position. All right, punks, that is a wrap for podcast episode four. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed making it. And I want to remind you, I am still looking for people who might want to submit hands to be featured on the podcast to get my point of view on how they played the hand and to make this podcast more of an interactive experience for you and me together thinking through situations at low stakes, hold them. And as an added bonus, if you submit a hand and I use it on the podcast, I will send you a Poker Punks card protector that you can see in the shop at pokerpunks.com if you're interested. I appreciate you taking a chance to take a listen and follow and like the podcast. Leave a review. It really does make a difference in the algorithm's ranking of what gets shown to people. So if you like the podcast, give us five stars. That would be great. If you don't, thanks anyway for checking it out. And until the next time, let's run it up the punks. <laughs>